The Artificial Intelligence Podcast. AI in real life. I grew up the daughter of two engineers. Whenever something was broken, we would take it apart and fix it. And whenever something wasn't broken, we would take it apart anyway. You see, I like things I don't understand at first sight. I like prying them open to stare at their insights until I can see each individual puzzle piece and figure out how they work together. I'm not an artist or a philosopher or a legislator. I'll happily leave the big questions of our time to them, but the what happens if I press this button or the what's underneath this moving lid questions, I'm fascinated by those. Where is AI already happening around us? What does it do? How is it made? How does it work? How does it affect those working with it? My name is Lia Wang, and supported by the AI experts at Microsoft, I'll dive into these questions and the impact of the answers on you and me. What changes will we get to see, perhaps as early as tomorrow? I can't wait to start exploring, and I hope you'll join me on this journey. The strategy department of EY has collaborated with Microsoft on an extensive report surveying 277 companies across 15 European countries to create a comprehensive view on the current state of AI. Conclusion, we're on the threshold of something big. Or like Thomas Muller, partner at EY and co-founder of their digital strategy department puts it, we can't even imagine the things that are coming to us in the next three to five years. He's here with me today to talk about what stuck with him through almost 300 conversations with AI business leaders. Tell me, where did this start for you, this journey towards digital, this journey towards artificial intelligence? It started, I think, for me, as it probably started with a lot of other people that uh, I think digital obviously has been around for, for, for some time. Yeah. Although I, I have to say that that um, if we go a couple of years back on digital, mm-hmm. uh, I did uh, I did some work on, on trying to uh, get a little bit deeper on understanding or in understanding how companies in the Nordics were working with digital transformation. So when you say AI, what what does that mean to you? How do you define artificial intelligence? Definitely there is an element of uh, of working with uh, with data sets that are much, much uh, more extensive than what the human uh, brain and capacity can uh, can basically has the, has the capability to, 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 uh, to use um, just via, you know, functions of the human brain so so it taps into wider bigger, bigger data sets it has the the, the the learning element of being able to process it uh, obviously extremely quickly it can combine data sets uh, from different places obviously via cloud computing uh, so so to me AI is is uh, it has the learning element of uh, learning practices from the past and putting them intelligent together in order to basically uh, not only predict but increasingly also prescribe yeah. uh, you know different uh, different outcomes yeah so you can so, you can teach it is what defers it from regular data analysis absolutely and then obviously we have different components we have the uh, like we we have the text uh, like the, the, the language we have text we have um, a vision uh, so we have a lot of different application areas to be applied on top of it but at the Kind of at the base of it, you have the uh, the machine learning, and then as it becomes more and more 
uh, or you can say less and less kind of a supervised and labeled where you basically very deliberately teach it but the, the the deeper it kind of gets into its own learning at some stage we get into the more of the deep learning element and yeah so so to me AI is, is really about the processing uh, huge amounts of data and and uh, becoming self-learning in the way that uh, that the technology can uh, you can, uh, can 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 start to put it to use in an intelligent way exactly so we're moving from teaching it by telling the machine this is right this is wrong to even giving the machine just a lake of data and telling it you know you find the patterns in it yeah is that right I, yeah I think ultimately that is where uh, I think if you talk to people that are much more uh, scientific in this area than I am, uh, then they will be able to to speak a lot more intelligent to that. But I think that that for sure we will be moving into that direction. I still think there is a lot of basic uh, AI kind of foundation to be created from just teaching it and labeling the data and getting the right data into the right place and, you know, rinsing it and uh, getting the quality. It's a little, still a little bit about if you don't have the data and if you don't have the, the, the data and the right quality, the outcome obviously is uh, is influenced by that. So yeah. we're still at the very early steps or stages of this, but it will ultimately be about uh, unstructured data that is unsupervised and basically able to do learning on its own, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, like a really smart kid instead of kind of a dumb kid. <laughs> Uh, that that is that is uh, that is that is one one way of putting it. I think that that uh, depends a little bit on how we define the smart and the dumb kid here. But <laughs> but but uh, yeah, and I think that the that the ability to apply different uh, senses is also an until like it's also a kind of a, an interesting point that you're making there. Um, I think that what we will for sure are not very advanced in yet as kind of in the in the way that technology has uh, that technology has emerged is the way that we apply you can say uh, behavioral science and human understanding and uh, like the, the the understanding of human behavior emotional yeah. intelligence things like that that we put that into use right now we're still very at a very technical stage at least that's how i kind of see it and also the companies that we've been interviewing and that have given us input to the study that we've done um they are they are very much at a state where it's quite technical, mm-hmm. but the application of the human element of really making sure that we also teach the algorithms to perform in a way that is conducive to, you can say, to human behavior, so the way that we interact with it. I think that's an element that will be kind of added as we go along. Yeah. So a little bit talking back about the, you know, the smart and the dumb kid. I think the multitude of, you know, of um, different elements that we put into play to make it really work, uh, different, you can say, intelligences, yeah. will, will is also something that, that will be necessary to really get a technology that is that is beneficial to us in all of the different situations where we need it. Right. We have the responsibility to raise all these children in the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say that, exactly. So you talked about this study you've been doing. Can you tell me a little bit more about what was the objective of it? The objective was, uh, so the study was uh, was commissioned by Microsoft. Uh, clearly, they uh, they have an interest in, in, in helping uh, enterprises and business out there in transform and become, uh, you know, better at what they do and mm-hmm. to basically enable them in that, in that transformation. So, so they asked us. I'm from UI. They asked us to, uh, to to provide a better understanding of what companies are actually doing to get uh, drive value from uh, from AI. And this has to do with first of all, how do they, you know, what what kind of conversation is currently taking place? How are companies even dealing with this topic or this uh, technology? Yeah. How are they putting it into play? Is it a is it an executive agenda? Is it something that is really being seen as part of the strategy of the companies as a key lever, or is it more something that is you can see 
say very operational and so yeah. on. So there's there's that element. There's the element of how advanced or mature companies actually are at this stage. So what are they actually doing? There is definitely the element of where do these companies see uh, the future benefits from AI. So where are they starting to put it to use, but also where are they expecting it to provide value in the uh, in the future? Yeah. And then I think maybe most interestingly, but also the the part that is most difficult to kind of on a quantitative basis to kind of to uh, to convey in a very structured way was a discussion about what how are they dealing with the challenges that they're confronted with yeah so first of all what what kind of uh, you know what kind of skills or capabilities do these companies need in order to even get any value out of ai yeah how do they see the importance of those we try to rank them or we have ranked them and then second of all how competent are they on uh, these different uh, you can say uh, capability or ai enablers so if you would have to describe a sort of at this moment in time, perfect AI-enabled company? What would that look like? Or, or maybe you've even seen an example. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure we are there yet to describe the, the, the perfectly enabled AI company. Um, I definitely think that it's been interesting to see uh, that there are some companies that are already quite advanced, mm-hmm. but there are very few. And the interesting thing that I've learned uh, from this work is is also that the companies that have kind of taken a an early start into this, for some of them it comes from a very logical reason. Some of them are very, you can say, if we look at the uh, the large telcos or the large financial uh, companies, they have a lot of data. They have, so they have a long history of working with data. They have maybe a long history of uh, having analytics uh, capabilities in place. So they have been quite early into this uh, into this new space. But also some companies that are maybe very dependent on what AI can do for them. So let's just just take something as uh, as network or yield optimization for a shipping company or an airline or something like that. So if you have a very obvious use case or you have a history or legacy of working with data. There seems to be some of those drivers that kind of make these companies more advanced. So in any case, there are some companies that are, I would say, quite advanced, but they are very, very few yet. But what I, what's interesting is that those that are, they have a lot, they have a very, um, they have some kind of an advantage in terms of attracting the talent that mm. everybody is talking about will be necessary to succeed in the future. So, so if you start early, you have that first mover advantage in terms diff- of and, and attracting the interesting thing, the right people. It, particularly because we're talking about a learning mechanism here. Yeah. So you need to get started. Yeah. So when I talk or the, the many good uh, people that have been participating in this, when we have talked to these uh, large com- com- uh, corporations, what we quite often hear is that they are a little bit... Uh, uh, you can say a little bit hesitant to get uh, started because of the what they talk a little bit of the lack of maturity of the technology, the scarcity of talent, uh, kind of like the um, uh, the general lack of, of of you know clarity in the organization in terms of what it can do and so on. So there's an element maybe of holding a little bit back. Uh, which I think ultimately is something they should they should they should think about with quite some um, you know that uh, I mean it. it I, I think it's very helpful for them to get started on this journey. Right, because in the report, you also write something about companies deliberately taking a follower position, if you will. Yes. Would you think that's smart in some cases or not smart? Or, or what's what's 
I will leave it to the company to to conclude. I think there are a lot of elements that come into into play when 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 uh, when kind of making a decision like this. Obviously, there is the uh, there's the financials in terms of the investment that goes into it, uh, the organizational focus that is required. Uh, don't know some of these companies may be in different kind of uh, you know they may may have different kind of priorities. So I don't want to I don't want to just basically generalize, but I definitely think that there is an interest in learning again from some of the more advanced companies about what they're doing and what they're finding. Yeah, and we. We're seeing companies out there that have hundreds of data scientists coming from the best schools and the best universities. And some of them coming from, you know, from MIT or the American West Coast. And and uh, and these are companies that don't have a necessary, like any other advantage apart from just having built this community and this density. And if I'm hearing you, that advantage or, or what you need to do as a company is is also about setting a bar, setting an ambition so you can attract people who share that ambition. For 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 sure, and uh, and setting a setting a vision, setting yeah. a some kind of a like, you know, people are driven from different motivators, and uh, and and I sense that we have a quite professional segment here of people that are that are ultimately or or fundamentally driven by working with uh, interesting problems with with good data and with intelligent people around them. So what really surprised me is that. Some of the co- these companies that are pretty advanced are companies that you would expect, like in telco or in media. Or, but there are also definitely cases of companies that you, I mean, that I at least wouldn't necessarily associate with being super advanced or super data driven or you know all that. Yes. Um, can you can you talk a little bit more about those? Like, what drives those traditional companies, if you will, and what enables them to take that step? Yeah. So, um, and maybe you can give an example of a, of a no, company. No, but I think an, an industry that has surprised me a little bit of being, uh, you can say, at least for some of the companies in that industry that we have talked to, that are seeing some, you know, this is this is of course it's about seeing uh, business opportunities, but it's also about responding to potential threats. I think disruption is a somewhat of a of a popular term in this uh, in the in in this space but but it's also about how do you kind of prepare yourself for for the the blind angles that you might have in your business and some of them are pointing to the fact that they, all right so with with AI what is ultimately potential like what 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 could potentially happen so so some of them are talking about the fact that competition in the future could be coming from the internal side meaning from peers in their industry that are putting AI to use into computational science so if we take life science or, or pharma for an example right there you have a company that as you said has legacy has a way of doing things have thousands of scientists on board who are used to working in a certain way how does it start what happens um, until we get to this point where they're starting to think about business model innovation and real threats from outside yeah. and inside and, and actually acting on it yeah It's 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 really difficult. I think it's uh, this is what we've been talking about for a long time of of how you know a certain industry or a certain company has a tendency to be a little bit blind towards what's coming uh, you know from 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 the outside. But is it typically does it typically start? Um from the bottom like are there salespeople who suddenly get signals from the market or does it start at sea level like how it, how does that work that it clearly it, it clear, at least when we look at the data uh, it uh, from and this is a this is a data set that is a uh, constitutes of 277 companies mm-hmm. across Europe 15 markets in Europe what we're seeing is it, it probably starts a little bit from the bottom up 
meaning you know very explorativelyly uh, these uh, this technology in, in whatever ways uh, we we can talk about it is put to use in different situations some of them very internal uh, it's there's clearly a tendency to put AI to use internally for a machine learning to use internally first uh, before you start to apply it kind of in more externally faced uh, functions but but I think that what we're seeing then is that as companies become more advanced that the uh, the you, the dynamic tips towards it being more of a top-down driven process mm. so we clearly when we try to distinguish the uh, the companies that are that are more advanced and, and in in this sense more advanced means that they have AI deployed into the business in a a variety of processes and performing quite advanced tasks. Uh, and when we look at these companies, they clearly are approaching it much more from a top-down perspective. So that suddenly it becomes more strategic. It becomes something that they organize themselves around in order to, you can say, leverage the uh, uh, the learnings across the business, maybe put more, uh, more resources behind it because it takes a more critical place in this, on the strategic agenda and so mm. on. So when you... When you talk about the top-down approach that at some point companies reach, um, and I and I also saw this in the report that culture and leadership is one of the top three enablers for artificial intelligence. Yes, right, and and I can completely imagine that because it's a black box. You don't really know what you put in and what you get out and why. And, you know, at the same time, we've all watched these movies where robots take over the world and first take over our jobs. Yeah. So how, what would your advice be for a corporate leader Yes. to have that trickle down in the organization in a good way? Yeah, I think as with any change transformation or, you know, change of behavior, which is one of the most difficult things for human beings. We all like to do the same as, you know, we've we've developed some kind of strength, something that we're good at. So that's what we do more of. And that's kind of very natural to us as human beings. Yeah. Uh, and and the, yeah, it, exactly the same goes for an organization, which basically just constitutes a lot of human beings that, that generate some kind of uh, coherent culture and behavior and way of doing things uh, together. So, so why leadership is so important is if you want to change these patterns of behavior, It takes a very clear uh, aspiration, a clear direction and guidance, and also a belief that this is something that we as a company will be doing. So, so you, so back to you know my 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 guidance. Uh, if that was the question, what would I, how would I advise these companies? It would definitely be that the, that the, that the uh, the corporate leadership or the executive leadership has a clear kind of aspiration of where the where you know where we're putting this to use also because that as you mentioned of course there is the element of how does it uh, provide a risk to my current job so so there there is this element of uh, of really speaking to how ai can augment the human uh, skill and the human behavior but it's not easy so it takes a lot of uh, it takes a lot of uh, you can see um, Uh, articulation, understanding, uh, convincing, uh, uh, in order to, for people to really accept it. So more excitement about the opportunities than fear yeah. for what it might be taking away. Excitement and and uh, but I think excitement backed by by action is always a good thing. What do you mean by that? 
No, I mean, it, I mean, obviously uh, that if you talk about this as a corporate leader, everybody will be, it will be asking. So, what does it mean? So, you know, what does it mean in terms of the resources we put behind it? What does it mean in terms of the things that we start up in this area? The way that we work with it. Um, so, so I just mean that it's 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 really one thing. It's not about getting uh, data scientists in there and uh, getting access to more data. It's about the way that we work. It's about the way that we also collaborate uh, in internally across uh, functions you can say between the technology side of the business or the IT side of the business and the uh, the, the the business uh, line side of the business so th- creating that bridge some of my colleagues in the industry are talking about the ability to translate uh, as uh, analyst translators uh, so it's about that part but it's also a part uh, as I said externally how do we uh, create uh, partnerships with new uh, types of companies that we weren't used to working with before whether that being solution providers application providers or uh, there's an interesting uh, uh, there's an interesting concept that I found in Sweden which is that some of the largest companies up there have uh, joined together in an external AI company mm. where that basically is taking uh, the learnings from each of these companies and applying it collectively. And then they have an, they have an ownership in the company, but I think what's more important to them probably is the fact that they are getting obviously the uh, the output back into the company. So they are they're collaborating in a totally new way, probably known because of the fact that the more data you have to work with, the better uh, output you can generate. We talked about the scarcity of talent. Uh, the uh, the uh, the novelty of the technology, so you know it's it's really difficult for a lot of these companies. So they are starting to collaborate in in, in many different kinds of ways. Yeah, I think that that takes a, obviously that takes a an executive uh, direction setting. If you as a company that where many have been used to having relatively closed walls and uh, you know protecting their IP. Uh, and uh, doing things their own way and suddenly they need to open up to the outside world and that that is definitely uh, not easy so that takes some leadership yeah and what would you say because I also read in the report that you write about um, the push versus the pull right versus is it technology driven which I guess if you centralize it all with all these scientists together working you know super innovatively etc you will get a huge technology push versus on the other hand you know needs from the business that you need to fulfill um, and getting fast results that excite people who have to work with it as well. What would you just say is the balance between those two? It, exactly as you say, it's a balance. It's uh, and I think in another, another one of those very consistent inputs that we received from the companies was that the people that they were actually almost mostly uh, dependent on were these people, they, these hybrid profiles that understand the business really well to understand where uh, where do we see this technology at value, whether that is from an optimization point of view, whether that's from a customer, uh, you can say uh, offering point of view, uh, and so on. And then bridging it to what's, what's actually possible because it's not just about coming up with wild dreams. It's also about applying it into some kind of uh, an understanding of what technology can do. So, And, and I, I heard from a lot of them that the profiles that they find actually most uh, capable for this role typically come with a kind of a technical IT background. Hmm. Seems somehow easier to... Uh, 
to then learn the business side rather than coming from the business side and then trying to learn the uh, the engineering side and the technology side and and, and we'll have to see if that uh, you know how that evolves over time but at least that's what what we hear a lot so so when you talk about the uh, the business pull versus the technology push uh, very clearly it it is becoming a combination of the two now Again, the more advanced companies, they say that it's more about the business pool. Mm-hmm. Now, I think a little bit uh, probably uh, with the notion that the technology is starting to be something that they understand. So now it's about where do we put it into play in the business. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit depending on where you are, but I think ultimately it will be even on a very kind of a specific level as AI is put into use in specific use cases, in specific functions, you'll always be having the need for this kind of a translation mechanism yeah. where you where you basically um, uh, make sure to really understand what the problem that you're trying to solve is right. as the fundamental starting point. You know? Right, and if I'm hearing you correctly, you can only get that understanding once the business, at least at a fundamental level, understands the technology as well. Yes, Yeah, there's 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 going to be a massive uh, educational journey for all of us in <laughs> yeah, terms obviously. of uh, starting to understand what the, what this can do, and and as we know, nothing is a better in uh, in conveying that than the practical example. So the more we start to see use cases, I mean, what the way that the, you know from my um, experience in uh, as a business advisor, I think it's very clear that what what it it is a little bit of a, like a hockey stick effect that uh, there's a lot of talk but it's not until these use cases really start to work in industries typically where companies are so they're seeing competitors doing something and as soon as somebody's making it work everybody is following mm. quickly thank you so much um and i guess we need to catch up again in two years That will be interesting. That will be interesting. That will be interesting. I wonder if we have to then catch up in a physical studio face to face. Maybe you won't be even talking to me. I hope I will, to be honest. <laughs> But uh, no, I think I think we we will not be replacing the human element. Uh, we'll just be using it for a different kind of thing. Uh, so today we're using our human capacity to solve, you know, some kind of tasks that are sometimes are a little bit repetitive and so on. That will be replaced by technology. But then we have more, I would say, room for actually using some of that human quality and uh, intelligence for what it's best at, which is, as an example, I think, to have a, a very fruitful and uh, an inspiring conversation uh, with each other. So I actually hope that we will be talking to each other again. And it's actually going to make us more human instead of less. That that uh, That's something that I fundamentally believe, yes, uh, and, and hope for, not least. Humans and machines working together and both growing because of it. But what does it mean for us as a society? What is needed from governments, companies and individuals alike to reach the full potential of what this technology could offer us? Joining us to share his view is Maarten de Rijken, newly appointed university professor artificial intelligence at the University of Amsterdam. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it because I know how busy you are because you just got a new job. That's correct. <laughs> Do you want to tell us more about that? Okay, so I have uh, two new jobs, actually. So one is uh, now what's called a university professor of uh, AI and IR, artificial intelligence and information retrieval. So that's all about uh, what we do with machine learning and other AI techniques to uh, help improve uh, search engines, recommender systems, conversational agents. And how's that different from a regular professor that you were um, before? I'm supposed to uh, look more broadly at, at my problem area, not mm. just within my own faculty, my own institute, my own niche, but also how, how it connects to the rest of the university and, and to the rest of society. 
So the university only has a few of those. Yeah. Uh, five now. And it has a few hundred uh, normal professors. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what would you say are your top three goals, you know, in this new position as university professor? So one certainly is to make this connection uh, that I've been asked to make and the connection to both from the technology to society and from uh, my uh, scientific discipline to other scientific disciplines, because I think uh, AI will make uh, a lot of difference uh, also in other disciplines. And so the university will uh, make even more investments in university professors. One will be uh, in AI and medicine, Mm -hmm. another in uh, law and AI, and a third in uh, more the... um, the humanities aspects of AI. Okay. And so those are connections that uh, that obviously I'm going to make. Uh, these people have not been selected yet, so that, that's going to happen over the next few months. The connection to um, uh, society is, is mainly around innovation with companies, so technology development, yep. uh, talent development. And then, of course, there's the, the normal scientific agenda, uh, work on stuff that I like, work on, on questions that are hard and um, that I, th- I feel we should make progress on. Right. Right. And when you talk about making that connection to society, to innovation at corporates and maybe even governments, um, how do you look at the Netherlands in the ecosystem of Europe and in the ecosystem of the world? Right. So there's there's a bunch of angles here. One angle uh, that's interesting and that not everyone might know is certainly that we've had uh, pretty good AI education at at our universities since the late 1980s. So my university, University of Amsterdam, since 1992. And only now are we beginning to see uh, AI programs in the US and in China. So how come we were so early with that? What What's the history of that? The history is that um, our universities were interested and are interested in sort of long-term goals. Uh, uh, things that might not become reality for the next few years, but not even for the next few decades. And There's room for fundamental research. Exactly. So I'm, I'm very grateful for them because that helped us uh, educate hundreds and hundreds of really strong students that have now found their way around the globe and that have also fed back uh, into our research. Right. And so that's certainly a, um, a head start we had. But of course, there are big investments all around the planet and big colleges are being founded uh, around the planet. And so people are catching up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, another dimension to this question is that the fact that uh, many other countries are... Um, have national AI agendas, and and with those agendas come uh, big national investments. And so these investments concern, uh, obviously, talent development, uh, research, innovation, coming up with good data structures, good regulations for sharing data, for data ownership, good business models for for, for startups around uh, AI, and uh, good regulations for ethics and and, and legal aspects of, um, of AI. So both the regulation side... And the business side, if you always captured in those AI agendas, which are essentially driven by the governments, if if I'm understanding you correctly. They're driven by all the stakeholders. Uh, so knowledge institutes, industries uh, and governments. Yeah. Mm. So how does that compare to what we're doing here? So far, we do not have a, a, a national AI agenda. I think our government is, is late with this. Uh, I think it's a responsibility of a, of a government to take care of its of the well-being and uh, the prosperity of, of its population. I think nowadays that means you invest in AI. You take a position and you, you move ahead, you take the solutions, and but you also 
uh, educate your people about what these solutions mean. So what do you do if, if uh, one of the stakeholders does not um, take its natural role? Well, the other stakeholders get together and, and get going. So that's what's happening now. Right. So with that, you mean companies, academia? Exactly. Companies, academia, startups, uh, organizations that represent uh, the um, uh, employers. Right. Yeah. Right. So... What's interesting about what you said, what you said is that, so you probably know this, um, the other day a report came out by Microsoft and EY looking at the state of AI across Europe pretty broadly. Um, and actually the result from that, which also surprised me because we're such a small country, is that the Netherlands is a front runner, at least looking at it from the corporate side. How do you look at that head start versus, you know, all the things you just said before where we're maybe starting to get behind? Yeah, I think... Um If you take us a, a closer look at um, at the report, so actually go beyond the headlines uh, that summarize the report in, in on news sites, the, you see that the picture is actually a bit more subtle than that. So the, um, the 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 sample that they took was from 22 large corporates, and they are active in this area. Many other players that you would have assumed to be active with AI are not active in AI. Ah, so so you would have expected a broader set of active companies exactly. within yeah. the Netherlands. Yeah. To be included in a report just in general. I see. I see. So when you're saying, you know, something needs to happen, the other stakeholders are coming together. If you could change three things, what what would you change? That That's a great question. Uh, I know 10 things I'd like to see us take action on, but so let, what are the three most important ones? Uh, certainly I want us to, the, the, the number one thing is to create an AI ecosystem that uh, attracts talent that keeps talent here. And how do you keep talent here? You keep them here by having uh, interesting, challenging uh, AI work for them to do. Mm -hmm. So that means we want to continue to expand our uh, AI strengths in education and training and have companies work on uh, building AI solutions for their own problems. Uh, right. Because that's what keeps the talent here. Right. So attracting them through great education and keeping them here through great opportunities. Exactly. So that's one. Uh, that's one. Well, that's the number one. Okay. Of course, what else do you need to to maintain a good ecosystem? Um, it's uh, you feed it with um, a good climate for startups. So because those are other opportunities for great talent to mm. to hang on. You feed it with a government that itself employs AI for its own problems. And we have many problems that are typically owned by a government. Think of uh, overcrowded cities, uh, a city here that um, is increasingly uh, segmented, right? Because we have uh, rents going up insanely in some parts, driving out people to other parts. Right. Wherever we have these difficult decision-making problems, I believe we should put AI to work to help us make better decisions. Right. And especially, if I'm hearing you right, those themes that don't have a natural owner outside of the government, like diversity, like energy, maybe like so many other things? I think our government would be the natural owner for energy. For instance, thinking about uh, how once we've made it a transition to other types of energy, when a lot of us will, will generate energy in our own houses and apartments, that's going to demand quite a bit from our networks. When all of a sudden, all of us produce energy at the same time and no one needs it because it's a hot and sunny day and, and vice versa. So we'll need to think about our networks differently. Of course, we have our energy companies. We need to bring them together. In countries like the Netherlands, the, the national government is a natural stakeholder to, to make sure that we get together and solve, solve this. Right. And that government in your view, should be 
branching out more towards AI to solve those problems also. And to, to stimulate that we take action and, and be a bit more experimental. Mm-hmm. Try, some, try some things out. We don't know the answers. We can think for years about how to regulate something. We could also just try out a few things. Right. And then hit the brakes when we think this is not going the right direction. Right. Very yeah. agile. Yeah. And the third? Um, the third, let's see, we had to build the ecosystem that has education and research and uh, innovation, interaction between knowledge institutes and companies. The second was this, uh, government becoming a user, adopter, early adopter of AI. The third, data. Who owns the data that we generate when we use uh, online services? Where does the data go? What else do we think is reasonable for platforms that take the data to do with the data? So that's an interesting point to me because... And I think you've mentioned this before um, uh, in different interviews. There's a cultural difference there as well, right? Where in the U.S., companies own everything. In China, other end of the spectrum, government owns everything. What's the European way? If there's any way, I think it's somewhere in between where we, many of us feel that we own our data. We should have a say in what happens with our data. Yes, we understand that with our data, better services can be built. But we'd also like to know what else is being done with our data. Right. Like one can do lots of stuff once the data has been collected. Right. So when you think about all these three points, which are each in itself pretty big, yep. where do you see, you know, considering the government right now, where do you see the biggest challenges? I'm, I'm pretty biased. So for me, uh, this is all around uh, talent, attracting talent, uh, creating opportunities for talent. Uh, uh, we've seen some great examples in other places around the planet. So in Toronto, there was a, a lot of brain drain in the uh, st- at the start of this decade. Uh, governments, knowledge institutes, companies got together to do something about this. And that acted like a, a flywheel. Mm. It, it brought Positive back... cycle. Exactly. It, it brought back talent. That talent in turn became so attractive to other companies and organizations that they decided to also come to Toronto, start a lab, start activities. And so things evolved pretty fast once that happened. And then, of course, once this happens, once there's so much activity, you have to force those, uh, you have to face, sorry, face those other issues like data. Who owns the data? How do you put all this talent to work? Not just for commercial reasons, but also perhaps for societal reasons. Right, right. So it starts with getting the people in and keeping the people here. And once you scale, if you will, you have to figure out all those other things as well. So how did Toronto do that? And how can we learn from that and translate that to, you know, our little tiny country? Well, they got together uh, they, um, with multiple stakeholders from, uh, from industry. The, um, the urban myth is that uh, one particular banker felt so strongly about this that he started uh, running around his network of other bankers and told them, you have to invest in AI. You have to support attracting wow. talent. And this then actually happened. Of course, this doesn't happen by itself. I mean, you often get people putting in money when the government supports this to some degree. Right. And and so that's what happened. That's what got things going. And now what you have is whenever there's a big opening of a new AI lab in Canada, the prime minister shows up and cuts the ribbon. Right. So part of it is stakeholders working together. Yep. Part of it is the government signaling that it's important, the same yeah, way that... In, yeah, incentivizing this, yeah, exactly. The same way that Merkel and Macron stood up and said, you know, AI, AI number one priority. Yep. How big of a part is of it is money? 
it, it is a part. It does help. But um, what's also incredibly important is to show that you have a strategy, to show that you have a plan, to show that you, you have an idea about where we are going. So vision. Vision, vision matters. Yeah, vision matters because... If you have a vision, then other parties know how to act. If you don't have a vision, they'll go somewhere else because there they do have a vision and there is a road ahead. You might not agree with it, but at least there's a road ahead that you can buy into or not. So what's the vision? What do you think the vision should be? Well, we mentioned these uh, these three big agenda items before, uh, right? So ecosystem building, talent, what were the other two? Data. Data. And, and being and the more government, experimental. Uh, exactly. The government itself um, becoming an early adopter. Training everyone in society at some level should also be done. So jobs will change. Jobs will disappear. New jobs, I'm sure, will come. Uh, what are those jobs going to be like? Who's de- who defines them? Uh, can we help people migrate from, from jobs, from current jobs to new jobs? And so that's that requires that we educate everyone. Uh, there's a great example in Finland. There's an open course uh, on AI put together by three universities. It's freely accessible to everyone. It tells you b- about the basics of AI, not just the technology, but also the impact, also the, the ethics, also possible future scenarios. We're translating that into Dutch. It will launch it in a few weeks. That that serves one part of the population, I hope. And um, interestingly, uh, someone mailed me the other day saying, I have two kids, six and eight years old, I feel I need to tell them about AI. What do I tell them? Where do I begin? Hmm. I don't really have the answer. I want to have an answer. I think we we together should come up with answers because these are this is a generation that will grow up with AI. So Everything. how do we prepare them for that is and something how, we need to think also about. And how do we tell them why they're seeing what they're seeing on TV, in the news, on the radio? Hmm. Uh, this is an algorithm offering them stuff. Why do they get this? What does it mean? What does it mean when your t- phone talks back to you? What is... What is What's being done? Yeah, who's behind the screen? Exactly. And so that's not an easy story to tell. uh, And I'm sure we'll need to revise it once we have one. Uh, But I think we need need to come up with a story there. Right. So that's that's another important part. So say say we get all that right, right? Say we find our story. Say we build the ecosystem. The government is experimental and an early adopter of AI. And we have the data management and structure under control. Where are we going to be in three to five years from now? What's going to be different? Interesting question. Uh, I don't have enough training material to do a good prediction, but <laughs> <laughs> right. But where are we going to be? Um, so I think what we'll see is that this technology that is so central for, for I think, for companies, for their strategy, I think for, for governments and their strategy, will own it, will know what we do, will know what that machinery is, will know how to make better decisions with the output of that technology. Mm. And, and so that doesn't mean we blindly follow what the technology says. We know how to deal with what it says. If we have a, a support system, say, for making legal decisions, that doesn't mean that the support system will tell you uh, guilty and, and done. No, it will give uh, a certain recommendation. And we and our people are trained, retrained, not just listen blindly to this, but to interpret it in their decision-making process and make better decisions. I hope we're, th- we're there, making better decisions on, on all the problems that matter to us with this new technology in a right. couple of years. Right, A whole new set of roles between men and machine. Yeah, so that's where we're heading, some sort of hybrid intelligence. So not just listening to machines, not just listening to people, but to mixtures of the two. In a transparent way. In a transparent way. And we know from various settings that the decisions that these hybrid teams make are different from the decisions that just a machine makes or just a human decider makes. So what kind of interesting examples can you give 
you know, that maybe surprised you in the difference between hybrid teams and regular teams? The first one that comes to mind now is uh, is unfortunately only from games. Uh, so chess and, and go, mm-hmm. where strategies and decisions uh, made by mixed teams are completely new. We've never seen them before. So And they're better than what a human alone does or what a machine alone does. So they're actually inventing. Exactly, together. Together. Yeah. Thank you so much, Maarten de Rijken, newly instated university professor of artificial intelligence from the University of Amsterdam. It was an honor having you here. Um, and I'm sure we'll see more of you in the future. Thanks. It was great being here. The OGAI. Artificial intelligence isn't something futuristic. The question of whether and how a human can create an artificial being has preoccupied rabbis since Talmudic time. A story that has inspired generations of artists, filmmakers and writers. And at the center of the Gollum legend is the human desire to create, together with a range of themes including creativity, control, power and salvation. A story which can turn dark in a blink of an eye, with technologies or inventions that get out of hand. They can become a threat once their creators lose control over them. This is relevant to many fields including robotics, genetic research, artificial intelligence and political movements. Jewish folklore tells the story of the Golem, dating back to the 11th century and even further back. For the Jewish people creating a Golem, a sentient being is an attempt to get closer to God, to achieve spiritual perfection. It is created out of clay and dust, with incantations and Hebrew letters on it. Once a ritual is completed and the Golem is alive, it's returned to dust. But there's also stories of female Golem created to do housework. So we teach AI to learn and learn from teaching the AI. But what can we learn from all the Gollum descendants and their stories? AI is here. It's real. But it's also still early days. Growth starts with an ambitious vision and the courage to make real changes. In business, in science, with people, and not unimportantly, in regulations. I'm curious as to how AI is applied in real life around us already and what's required to develop successfully. Join me as I meet the people teaching and learning from artificial intelligence, perhaps closer to you than you think. You can find me at bnr.nl slash AI podcast or on your favorite podcast app.